pens. You might want one. Uh, you can write on the back of your programs as well. You'll notice that there's some um, blank uh, lines. And if you need pens, you can raise your hand and we'll hook that up uh, as well. If you need Bibles, raise your hand. What's up, D? Hey, just jump in, family. And pray for our hearts um, before we jump right in. If you're new, we, we, we ask questions. We are very freed up to ask questions, not a culture for pie. We just ask that if you're asking questions that you feel like, okay, before I ask this question, is it really going to bless the whole body? Or is it something that you can just ask me afterwards or ask somebody, uh, one of our leaders in the body? So just be processing that. Uh, that'd be great. And pray for us, okay, fam? Dear Jesus, uh, we are so thankful that we get to open up and we get to hear you speak. Lord, uh, what an honor. And I pray that we would not shortchange you speaking through your scriptures versus audibly, because this is, um, this is what you've given us. Uh, you've given us your story, um, your truth, which is truth. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would illuminate our minds and our hearts to be humble enough uh, to receive it, to be uh, excited enough to, um, to enjoy, and uh, that we could just have fun together learning about you. Thank you that it's about you and not us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, family. So we ended um, in chapter 11. Uh, we had um, went through a bunch, of, a bunch of descendants. We you know, went through a hole in the table of nations in chapter 10 where uh, we saw these individuals gathering together, these nations being reformed. We've just had uh, the, uh, the flood uh, where humanity was destroyed and now humanity was repopulated. Um, but still, um, what do we still? What's, what's the theme here in chapter ten? Is that no matter what we do, there's still a sin problem. Okay, uh, that's one of the main points. Is that here? You know, God destroyed the the earth, uh, destroyed all the people, and then you know uh, allowed us to be repopulated, remandated us as far as with our commission, uh, with what to do with the world and what to do in the world, um, being being stewards of it, and also procreating, seeing more image bearers, people who bear God's image well, people who love Jesus, be on earth, so so we can remind God of Himself when He looks um, at the world. And even though he does all that again because he's gracious, you have us as men, um, we are sinful, uh, you still see there's a sin problem no matter what. How, do we, how does it reveal itself this time? The people want to erect this huge tower, but that's not a big deal. But why do they want to erect a huge tower? Uh, for their namesake, right? They want to do it so they can be great. This is what we learned last week. So they can be great and also so they can stay together. So they can stay together um, in their confines, in their protection. Look how cool we are. And we actually know when people get power, corruption follows. So you can only imagine what would have happened. Um, but we know something would have happened because God says, and let's not let them do this because they'll basically probably destroy themselves. They'll think they're God. They already think they're God. And it's going to be crazy. And so he scatters the people with languages. All right, family? And so then we hit, uh, now we get into this next stage where we, we enter into another um, account of a genealogy. Um, basically, this is uh, the genealogy from Shem to, Han- to Abram. Now, Abram, we're going to be introduced to this great guy here. Um, I want you to, understand, to notice something. I'm, I'm all cool, man. I, I'm, people, people made so much fun of me of my big water bottle, but I took some water out, you know what I'm saying? Just and put it in a cup. But, okay. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. So... Because I had a big water bottle, people made fun. Then I brought my little daughter's water bottle, and people said, you got your baby's water bottle, dude? <laughs> your brother can't win. So, um, so I thought I'd do the life of the white plastic cup today. All right. All right, so, so we're, we're in Chapter 10. Let me read through some things. Let me just, um, 
We'll start in chapter, t- um, sorry, chapter 11, verse 10. This is the account of Shem. You guys remember Shem was one of, uh, the, one, one of the sons of Noah, right? And so what we're having here is we have um, God creating humans. Uh, you have Adam, and then you have all, you, you, see, the, you see the genealogy continue to unfold. Uh, then we have this new, this new issue of Noah, this new humanity. Uh, then you see more of a genealogy. And now we're going to focus more now on the specific a uh, specific person and what happens with all the redemptive history based on this guy's life. And this is this guy's Abram. So uh, here's, here's Shem here. This is the account of Shem, which is uh, a guy who is godly and actually um, is a really good line because this is the line where Jesus is going to come from. This is the lineage where our Lord, our Lord and Savior Jesus comes from. It says, um, two years after the flood, when Shem was 100 years old, he became the father of Arphaxad. Arphaxad. Sorry. And after he, yeah, and you guys know I said last, last week, I'm going to totally butcher the name, so if you're a linguist, just give a brother a break, okay? Uh, verse 11, and after he became the father of Arphaxad, uh, Shem lived 500 years and had other sons and daughters. When Arphaxad, Arphaxad uh, had lived 35 years, he became the father of Shelah. Uh, and after he became the father of Shelah, Arphaxad lived 403 years and had other sons and daughters. Uh, when when Shelah... Uh, had lived 30 years, he became the father of Eber. And after he became the father of Eber, Sheila lived 403 years and had other sons and daughters. Okay, so we're getting this, this family line going again. It says, and when Eber had lived 34 years, he became the father of Peleg. And after he became the father of Peleg, Eber lived 430 years and had other sons and daughters. Uh, we're in verse 18. When Peleg had lived 30 years, he became the father of Ru. And after he became the father of Ru, Peleg lived 209 years and had other sons and daughters. Uh, verse 20, when Ru had lived 32 years, he became the father of Sirach. And after he became the father of Sirach, Ru lived 207 years and had other sons and daughters. Verse 22, when Sirach had lived 30 years, he became the father of Nahor. Nahor. And after he became the father of Nahor, Sirach lived 200 years and had other sons and daughters. Or in verse 24, when Nahor had lived 29 years, he became the father of Terah. Now, pause. That's very important. Terah, this guy. Um, and after he became the father of Terah, uh, Nahor lived 119 years and had other sons and daughters. Check it out. After Terah had lived 70 years, he became the father of Abram, Nahor, um, and Haran. So we have here uh, where we, we get introduced to uh, Abraham's dad, okay? Um, and it says here in verse 27, uh, this is the account of Terah. So if you, this, if you get your Bible, if it's not your Bible, don't write in it. But if it is, you should probably want to underline Terah. He is um, very important in this lineage here because he's Abram's dad. Terah became the father of Abram. We're in verse uh, middle of 27, Nahor and Haran. Haran, I'm sorry. And Haran became the father of Lot. Okay, you guys, if you know anything about Lot, uh, this is extremely interesting here because Lot is super crazy. We're going to see Lot have all kind of drama um, all throughout Scripture. In fact, I, I would say he's one of the uh, thorns in Abram's flesh. And hopefully throughout our time we'll prove that. And the reason why I think that part of the story is going to be really important because I think we all have a lot of friends or even families who are thorns in our flesh, but we keep them around. We'll talk about that in a moment. Um, verse 28, while his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. So that gives us great insight uh, because we realize, oh, so these this Ur of Chaldeans place. So these guys are actually um, Babylonians. 
Okay? Is Babel, uh, Babylonians, are those good people or bad people in Scripture? Bad people. Not bad as in, like, they're, we're better than them, but they are pagans. They worship pagan gods. Um, we're going to continue on in a moment. Verse 20, let's go to 29. Abram and Nehor are both married. The name, the name of um, Abram's wife was Sarai, or Sarah, like my boo. And the name of Nehor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Uh, I'm going to pause there. Okay, so... Uh, we see uh, basically a genealogy here from, from Adam to Noah and then from Noah to, uh, to, to Abraham, with Shem being the guy who's sort of ushering us all in. Um, and what we realize, um, when you look at verse uh, Terah, this guy, I think there's hope here. Terah is not a godly man. We first realize that he's a, he's a Babylonian. He's from this Chaldean place. And, and in, in Joshua, you can write this address down, um, in Joshua 24, verse 2, uh, he he worships pagan gods. Okay, so here so his so Abram Abram's dad was a, a guy when I say pagan. He worshipped gods that that were false. So that's what that's what he did. So that's what that's the kind of land that Abram grew up in. Um, so we have a Babylonian guy uh, who grows up in a pagan city uh, with a foul dad, right? And if we want to even continue to increase like hopelessness, uh, the girl he marries. Uh, is, is barren, right? She can't have kids, okay? Now, that's even interesting kind of, and this is a sort of a side note, but uh, when, you look at, when you look at this whole journey here, it's almost like um, you, you would think, okay, I know, I know God said that he's gonna have, you're going to have these, this great nation. It's, this is, you know, as you, think of, as you look at Shem, but um, everyone so far has had girls in this reality when you look at um, Haran and all these guys, and it seems like, like maybe Lot is going to be this guy who might, who might fulfill this destiny. Um, Abram is not looking like really how is he going to fulfill this destiny of having all these kids when his wife is barren. Uh, just, very, just very interesting. How will he fulfill this? Um, I want us to look at something. This gives me hope. I want us to continue on. So what we learned about Abraham, continue on please. Dad's a, a pagan guy, worshiper. He's from Babylon, himself a pagan. Um... But his name means exalted father. Um, we're going to see his name change in a moment. It means father of the multitude. Uh, the reason why I love, I love looking at Abram's life is because it gives, it gives me hope and it should give you hope. See, the one thing that's going to happen as we study the scriptures, family, is all throughout the scriptures, uh, we're going to be looking at the text and then I'm going to say something like, hey, look how important genealogy is. Look how important it is to your life that what you do is affected because of where you've come from. And that's true, right? And then the very next week, we're going to look at a passage where we're going to see someone's going to come from an ungodly family, be an ungodly man, worshiping idols. He's kind of a wimp. And then God says, you're going to change all the nations. So you go, well, wait a minute, I thought you said it matters the pedigree. You know, it matters if your mommy's not a drunk and your daddy's a good lawyer and both of you guys go to church every week. Doesn't that, you said that matters, Eric. I'll say kind of. Because what God does, he says, hey, that's, that's how he's operated, that's how he's made the world. And the reality is we shouldn't shortchange the reality that what you do will affect future generations. At the very same time, you don't have to put a nail in your coffin if you have a jerky dad. You don't have to say, my life is messed up if your dad beat your mom. 
You don't have to say, there's nothing I can do now because my family are drug dealers. You don't have to give up on life because of your circumstances, although they do affect you because we have one word, God. And what he does is he gives you grace. And so with God, God says, I can make you a patriarch. See, I love at the same time where we see this reality of nature and how he's wired things in life, God says, I can step in any time and take a Babylonian guy who's worshiping pagans and have him be the father of us today. Isn't that exciting? When you look at your life and you think, well, I'm just kind of, I'm just, you know, I just can't cut it. I mean, look at my pedigree and look what I'm doing right now. Look, I'm really not a real man right now. You don't have to stay there. The Lord gives us an opportunity to experience grace. So I love the fact that we have a guy who's really messed up. And now just look at who he is. It says, um, the scriptures say he's the father of the multitude. In fact, this man is a patriarch. We talk about this word, but I say it so many times because this is something we need to hear in our community. A patriarch is a man through whom a new way of life comes. And in our community... Whenever I say patriarch, please hear matriarch too, okay? God is saying that you do not have to stay in the same place that you are today. That you can choose to say, today is a day where I do what God wants me to do. Do you believe that? Bro, do you believe that? That today could be the day where you say, I'm done. I'm done being a womanizer. I'm done smoking weed. I'm done being lazy and not having a job. Right? If you're, if you're a woman in here, you can say, I'm done usurping authority. I'm done telling my man that he's nothing. I'm done adding strife. I want to add value. Or I'm done being um, a doormat. I'm done being just a, uh, just a sexual fantasy for someone. But I have value, purpose, and worth because God has created me. And today, I start the journey as a matriarch. Today. You don't have to get better. You don't have to change your clothes. You can just say, I choose Jesus. And you can change today. Right now. Process Abram's life and think, this is the man who's spoken of, continue on please, he's an example of faith. In our scriptures, he is the quintessential example of faith. Like God says, okay, all the people in, in redemptive history, who I'm thinking about that helped them understand faith? Oh, Abraham. You go even to the hall of faith in Hebrews. Who gets the most play in Hebrews? 11. Abraham. Mad paragraphs. Right? I love it. I mean, this guy is a nutball. Wait till we see some stories as we continue on. And God is like, this is my boy. Continue on. His lineage becomes the characters in the epic narrative. He is, this is how the Bible gets written, through his family. We have the scriptures, God's word given to us based on this dude. Basically, God says, I'm going to create the world, I'm going to create all the people, and then I want everybody to focus on this family. His family, right? Continue on. His name appears more than 300 times in your Bible. The reason why I just want us to understand that is to see how God uses a pagan and makes him his friend. 
and then makes him his missional agent of change. All right? Let's continue on. Um, continue on, please. So, with that said, you got, you got kind of a bad start here. We got Abram. Man, it comes from a background. It's pretty messed up. But look what happens here. It says in the scriptures, the Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. Love this. Um, so, God speaks. Now, you guys know how serious we are about talking about how God speaks. And the reason why is because I, we have just mutilated this understanding. You, now, I believe in the supernatural realm. God prompts our hearts. He's guiding us all the time throughout the day. But when you talk about God speaking, you better make sure you know what you're talking about. Because he's just not kind of saying God's speaking and speaking in slang, right? No, the creator of the universe said something to him and he heard it. You understand? That's different than me, you know, having a little feeling going, hmm, maybe I shouldn't, maybe I should apologize to Sarah because I was a jerk, right? So God led me and God continually guided me to apologize to my wife, but God did not audibly speak to me. So now, why, well, why are you tripping on that, Eric? Because our vernacular matters, family, because you have young believers who are starting to walk with the Lord, and when you make everything kind of, God said this to me, you know, God told me to eat a banana, God told me to do this, you know, and everything is like this, this supernatural occurrence, then what happens is we begin to warp people's minds, and they begin to feel like they got to play this Christian game too. And so then people don't build hearts for the Lord, but they learn how to play the game. Listen, we don't have to play the game. You're not short-selling Jesus to say he speaks through his scriptures. You're not playing God. That's what he wants you to tell people. See, here's the thing. God does not flippantly just speak. And so people go, well, are you saying God doesn't speak? Of course he speaks. But when God speaks audibly, it's a big deal. You go through the scriptures and you show me a flippant speech from God. You know, he speaks to cats like Paul. John the Baptist, Isaiah, Jeremiah. So, no, but they weren't famous before Jesus. He speaks to regular people, but when he speaks, history changes. See, I'm just saying to you guys, God doesn't go and say, hey, get on a people mover. And you go, why, why Jesus? Well, I just thought I'd say that. I like talking to people. God... God doesn't do that. God says, I'm going to make you a man who's going to create nations. God says, I need you to scatter because I'm about to do something new in the whole church. God says, John, I need you to prepare the way of my son Jesus. God says to Ezekiel, I want you to tell the whole nation that they're in sin. I want them to see how you live your life so they can experience repentance. My point in this family is God speaks, but we don't need to help God out by lying. If he speaks to you, then you say it. God said this to me audibly. Praise the Lord. Please make sure he said it audibly. And if he didn't, tell that story. I remember one time, real quick, I was talking with another pastor friend. We were talking about this because in their church, they're always like, God speaks, God spoke to me, God spoke. And I'm going, bro, I just think think that's theologically irresponsible. If I can be home, I just want to tell you. He's like, well, why do you say that? 
He said, you know, he said, well, God did speak to me. I said, okay, well, give me an example. He says, well, I was driving down the street, and, uh, you know, we had a lady who was, um, who was in the hospital, and, and, and the Lord just, you know, just put in my heart. Like, and he said, God spoke to me and said, he said, God spoke to me and said, I need to go visit her in the hospital. I went to the hospital, and we prayed. And it was like, she said, man, I'm so glad you came. It was almost like, like God sent you, and I prayed, and it was awesome. I said, awesome. I said, so you heard him say something to you? He said, no, it was just, I just kind of felt something. I said, why not tell that story? Why not tell the truth? Why not say, hey, I was driving down the street, and for some reason, I don't know why, I just felt like I need to go see this lady. I realize now, it seems like the Lord is guiding me. That seems to be the true story. God didn't say it. Guess what that forces us to deal with? Faith. Now we got to go, wow, I feel like I should be doing this. Well, my whole day is messed up now. Do I have faith to do this? Right? Because if God just walked up in here and said something to me, I'm going to tell you all. Like, I'm going to be like, all right, God said it. I'm, you know, I don't, there's not tons of like, whoa, okay, should I do this or not? Like, God just said that to me. My point in that, I just, I so want to be responsible with how we help other people understand Jesus from the scriptures. If any of you say I'm off base, please come see me. But I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure that God wants us to be clear about when he speaks. In fact, he says in the scriptures, if you say I spoke and something doesn't happen the way 100%, you're a false prophet. So when he says I spoke, he actually spoke. All right, now look at what he does here. So that's why we're very serious about scripture here. That's why we try to teach scripture. We try not just have Bible studies. We try to teach people how to study the Bible. Because God speaks to you mainly through the scriptures, family. This is how he speaks. He's, and I, it's interesting. I find people who want to obey all these things that God ain't said in scripture. And I'm like, how about we just focus on obeying the stuff that he says in scripture first? And then we can go to Christianity 301. You know, then we can do postgraduate Christianity. Can, can we just love our brother first? How about that? Right? So um, he's so serious about scripture. Check out what he says here. <clears throat> he says, uh, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. Now, um, I, I, I love this. When you respond to God, and this is, this is what's hard about faith, right, family, if you're a Christian, and if you're sitting here going, should I trust Jesus? What? If you respond to God truly, your life will change. Right, your life will change. And look what he says here. I love how he tells him, look at the text here, he tells him to leave everything, right? He says, you know, he says, I want you to leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. And he tells him what to give up, but he doesn't tell him where he's going. Isn't that just like God? Right? Now, this is, this is our life, right? This is, your, this is our journey. God says, and you know, you come to Christ, he's like, you know that's foul, you need to stop doing that. You know you need to trust me here. You know I want you to do this. And you're like, but if I do all that, I ain't going to have no life. Right? If I do all the stuff you're telling me to do right here, what am I going to do? I'm just going to sit around and just, you know, twiddle my thumbs. Like, what are you going to put in place of that, Jesus? Right? And God's like, trust me. I mean, how many of us, if we were to just, just unpack our brains right now, have stuff that the Lord has been clear about what to give up, and you have no clue what he's going to do to bring you joy? And so you don't give it up, just like I don't give it up, because we don't believe God is good. Because if God was good, 
We would surely give it up. Is there any way, can you give me the two examples of the, the two examples, bring us the two examples? For example, so God tells you, you know, some of us, we have, I just think of relationships. Some of us have some weird relationships, right? And you're in these relationships, and you know they're, they're wrong for you, right? And you know that the Lord is telling you, hey, you need to get out of this relationship. Why don't you think many of us stay in relationships that are ungodly, that aren't honoring the Lord, where you're not being treated as a queen, where they're not treating you as a man of God. Why do you think we do that? Can you go to it, please? Okay, so for example, say you with this guy, okay? All right, now all you guys are going, well, I'll, I'll leave that guy in a heartbeat. But see, some of you guys are, like a, are with a guy like this spiritually, right? And you're with a guy, and, I say, and we say, hey, I want you to leave, so God says, I want you to, this guy doesn't love Jesus, I want you to leave this guy. Would it be, wouldn't it be easy, would, how much faith would you need to go from him to him? Right? <laughs> we got one Christian in the house. So many ladies probably wouldn't go, no, Jesus, but I love him. You'd probably go... <laughs> You probably move, hallelujah. You probably say, yeah, you know, hook it up, right? Okay. How many of you guys, if you, okay, if God said, go to the next one, please. If God said, hey, so, so it's, you, you're in scripture, so, you know, if God said audibly to you, hey, I want you to quit working hard like this so that you can be a jet setter, you know, with all, all the resources in the world, how many of you guys will struggle with that? Not many, right? Here's my point. You can go back to the last text. Here's my point. If we knew it would allow us to delight, we wouldn't even blink at doing it. You wouldn't even blink. If God told you to give up something and I'm going to give you something better, we're selfish people. The Bible already told us, right? You wouldn't even think about it. You would do it readily. So why do we struggle? Because we don't think that God has our best in mind. You follow me? But God is good. God is saying, if I'm telling you to give up something, it's because I have your best. Are you following me, family? And so he's saying, listen, I can tell you this stuff. Abraham, I'm telling you just to go. Where am I going? Is it going to be better? Just trust me. Just go. Go to a place that I'll show you. Don't worry about where it is. I'm good. I'm not going to give you second best because I'm good. I've created good. The reason why good exists is because I made it. Right? So, so what God does here is says, hey, I will show you. I love this. He says, uh, go to the land and I will show you. Let's continue on real quick. And look at all these I wills. Um, there's a great theology here. He says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Right? So what I love here, even in the beginning, hey, it's almost like you got Abram. You know, God is looking at the world, saying, man, the sin problem's crazy. What am I going to do with it? And notice what God does. God takes the initiative. The reason why he does all, why you have all these I wills here is because God is saying, see, you can't fix the sin problem. 
You can't fix yourself. So what's going to have to happen is I'm going to have to initiate and get into a relationship with you and have a covenant. And so that's the beauty of covenant. We've been talking about covenant for the last couple of weeks. So what God does is says, guess what? I'm going to, I'm going to have to make this possible. This impossible thing of a pagan guy with a pagan dad, uh, worshiping false gods, wives barren. I'm going to take the impossible and I'll make it possible. And notice here, it says, you know, I'll make you to a great nation and I will bless you. Now, I will make your name great. Just, just, a, just a brief caveat. You know, it's, it's funny. I feel like what this does, this really has, this makes us wrestle at MacAv because we, I think we have to wrestle sometimes with how we view people of means. We can, we can begin to be arrogant and we can just think, you know, wealthy people are bad, right? Or people in the suburbs are bad. And, and you, you know, you got to be sacrificial and poor to be good. But see, the Bible teaches sometimes he wants to make people's name great. So it seems that the issue of people having resources or being rich or being poor or being popular and having power or not is never an issue for God. An issue for God is never, are you rich? The issue for God is, are you righteous and rich? God is concerned not if you're poor, but are you righteous and poor? Right? Not if you have power, but are you righteous with the power and influence you have? See, God's issue is not with the money. It's when people use it. It's, right, it's, right, it's, right, it's when people want to take people and use people to get money. You've heard the adage, right, that you don't use people to get money. You have money, right, and then you use that to get people. And the point there is Luke 16. That's not unbiblical. Luke 16, the shrewd, the shrewd investor. His whole point there is you use your resources and you build friends for yourself in the kingdom. Right? So the sense of like, well, you know, I don't I want to be just no one knowing me. I mean, maybe God wants to make your name great, and you're like, you're like kicking at the goals right now. You're like bucking and fighting God, and he wants to do something in you bigger than yourself. You ever thought about that? He makes some people's name great. In David, in 2 Samuel, he says, I'm going to make your name great. I want to, you know, I'm a, you know, I think of humble people. I think of like, you know, David's a son in, in, in the doctor world and stuff like that. I mean, hey, maybe he wants to make your name great. But not for your glory, for his. And for us, when he's doing that in your life, you, you, you shouldn't dare say, no, Lord. When God is saying, I want to do something through you so that I might be honored. Right? But notice, he doesn't just make his name great for himself. He says, you know, I will bless you, which we talked about over 80 times in, in Genesis, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. The, the, the hard thing is when we are a blessing, you know, we receive, and then we're not dispensers, right? We don't, we don't give away. See, that's, that's, that's a key indicator uh, that you're not, you're not experiencing righteous blessing, right? When you want to hoard things, when you want to keep things to yourself either your faith or your stuff. But God wants us, see, our, our dream is to be a generous church family, right? We want to be a church where people know if they, if they need something and they don't want to squander it, right? We're not going to just give stuff away, but they want to be about God's business. We want to be a generous church family that gives and cares for our community. Ask yourself, are you, are you a, a transmitter of God's blessing in, in people's lives? Like, are you just getting blessed and wanting to get blessed and put yourselves in situations and manipulate things so that you might be blessed? 
but don't want to be a blessing to other people? Do you, do you even give to this local body? Have you, have, you, have, you, have you been experiencing God's growth in your life? Have you been getting blessed here and haven't given anything? Because we don't, we, don't, you know, we don't talk about that. You guys know we're out here for the cheese. Something to think about. As I talk about that in Discipleship Defined, I talk about that the, 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 the means is very important just as the ends. God wants us, it's not about just, you know, having resources, but God wants our character, our character to be godly. He continues on, continues on look what he says, he says, I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse you. This is an issue of identity, family. Um, see, what he's saying is like, not only will you be blessed, but now because you identify with me because you're my boy, guess what? I'll bless others because you're my boy, because I, I have an identity with you. But guess what? Because you're my child, if they curse you, I'll curse them. So the beauty of this is, like, it's not about, like, now you can go around cursing cats because they do something wrong to you, right? You don't go around, oh, you mean, you mean to me? Get them, God. Like, that's not the point. The point, right, the point is that, man, your identity is in Christ now, just like me with my kids, right? I mean, the way I treat my kids is just different than the way I treat anyone else. And my kids receive what I have. So God is saying, guess what? If you are... Like, if you're like Abraham right now, family, and you're going, man, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm a pagan, I, don't, I haven't been walking with the Lord, God says, you can be my child, and guess what? You're my child. And now your identity has changed. You are mine. And that means something. And in our body, I think we struggle with that, that reality. What does it mean for you to say that you're God's child? That we're God's child continues on. He says um, in, verse, in verse 4 and 5 here. So Abram left as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Which is interesting because he said, leave all the people. You notice that? But Lot came. I, I consider Lot as a freeloader. We'll talk about that throughout the weeks though. So um, Abram left and, and as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he sent out for Haran. He took his wife Sarah his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and all the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Now, real quick, isn't that interesting? He said, now, don't take things, so who are the people here? Like, he told him to leave everything, right? But he's taking all these people, he's taking his stuff, right? And he takes, he takes his boo, and he has his, his uh, nephew Lot, right? Have you thought about that? Well, I, I'm convinced that I don't, think, I don't think necessarily that Abraham is being disobedient here. Um, it seems to me, I, I would propose, and this again, we can have the, you can have debate about this in your mad groups. It seems that God was basically saying, like, leave, leave your pagan lifestyle. Leave the stuff that's not about me. And I'm convinced as we look through the story, especially when we see Sarah, Sarah rise up, I'm convinced that these are people who actually became converts. These are basically, basically Abraham said, hey, this guy, Yahweh dude, just asked me to go. Like, I believe he is God. Do you want to go with me and follow him? And these are the people who said yes. That makes sense, family? Now, that's up for debate, but I don't, I don't think he was being disobedient here. It seems that God, God actually blesses him with Sarah. Actually, she's the one who provides the seed uh, for Jesus. 
So uh, that's, that's one of the reasons why it seems that, that, that Abraham took people who, who were part of God's crew. Um, verse 6, family. Uh, it says, Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moor and Shechem. At that time, uh, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to, by the way, he said something at first, and now he appears. So you have this epiphany piece. Uh, he says, to your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Um, now, who gets the land? You know, there's a lot of talk about who gets the land. You know, people are fighting over right now over the land in Israel, right? So you got the Palestine, right, the Palestinians, uh, you got the Jews, you know, so you know, you got all these different people fighting over, over the land, right? And then you have the Christians who say, well, it's actually our land because uh, we love Jesus and I mean, it's just bizarre. And, in, and actually, I think one of the main reasons we probably protect um, Israel as much is because of an inept theology of what it means when we talk about God's land. Um, but I don't want to get beat up here for you know, politics stuff. But, but uh, I'm coming more from a theological framework. So the question is, who gets the land? Uh, it seems that the scriptures already tell us who gets the land. Look at this, family. Uh, in Galatians 3.16, what does it say here? The promises were spoken to Abram. Abraham and to his seed, right? And so uh, when you see him saying, travel through the, land, through the land, and it says, at that time the Canaanites uh, were in the land, the Lord appeared to Abraham, to your offspring I will give this land. Uh, that word offspring, in many translation, it can be seed, right? So, so he says, he's basically reminding in Galatians of the promise given to Abraham, okay? Galatians 3.16, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say, and to seeds, this is, this is what it says in the scriptures, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. Okay, so I want to propose that the land isn't any of these cats, uh, but actually it's Jesus' land, and, I, and one of the main, the main things that Jesus is trying to say to the world is that when he died and rose from the dead, is that his land, he, like Jesus is not going to come back and sort of set a tent up in Israel, right? Jesus' point in the resurrection is that actually Israel God is the God of the whole world, and actually his land is everything on earth. When Jesus comes back, he's coming to say, I reign over the earth, I see some of you guys are really? I didn't, I didn't learn that on Left Behind when I watched that movie. But, um, yeah, I, <laughs> I propose that movie's not <laughs> really clear. So, um, so, so basically, when you, look at, when you look at these verses here, what, 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 Abram, what Abram is saying is that, basically saying is that the whole earth is my land. Jesus is saying that. So we don't have to argue over a specific piece of land because the Bible says that the world, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness therein. Right, that's what it says in Psalms. All of this is, is, is God's land. Okay, so uh, continue on. He says, uh, verse 8, From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel, which means dwelling. He, he, started, he dwelt there, um, which is what God does with us. It talks about in the scriptures that he pitches his tent with us. He dwells with us with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Uh, then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. So here's what's beautiful here. Imagine it. So, so God says, hey, uh, I see you worshiping idols, okay? Um, I'm actually the true king. 
um, I want you to follow me, and I can't tell you where I'm taking you, but I want you to trust that I'm good. He's a pagan guy, so think back, because we were all pagans at one point. And if you don't know Jesus, you're still in that realm of not understanding your true king. And he says, so I want you to go to this place. And so he's following God. And I love here, the Bible says he sets up an altar and he starts to call on the name of the Lord. So here's this pagan guy. And just by God's grace and sovereignty, understands he needs to worship And it says he calls on the name of the Lord, which we'll see uh, many times in Scripture. Whenever he says that, that's just just long terminology for he begins to worship Yahweh. He he begins to worship the Lord. And guess where he sets his tent up at? He sets it right between uh, this crazy pagan land. And so it's almost like he has church to almost have an evangelistic meeting. That's what many theologians say. But at, at worst, we can say, here's a guy who moves from paganism to helping us understand what does it mean to, with a whole heart, worship his king. I love this story, family, because it's real, it's real simple. Here's what the Lord is saying as we look at this. He's saying, okay, look at your life. Understand where you've come from. And ask yourself, is God good? Do you believe that he's good? If you believe he's good, will you give your life for a new one. It's real simple. Will you continue to, to try to fight through and, and, and work your own plan, you know, and sort of, you know, come, come here on Sunday sometimes and maybe get involved here and there? And, or will you say, I'm, I'm, I'm done playing games and I want to I quit trying to have my own life and I actually want to give it to the one who understands what goodness is. That's the call. He tells us to leave our land, leave your stuff, and don't know where you're going next. And say, trust me, I'm good. I think it reels itself a lot practically in our body. Obviously, there are decisions that we need to make, family. Um, There's hard decisions that some of you need to make in your life where you know the Lord has said, hey, I know it's hard. I know you're scared. I know you're scared to talk to your husband about this issue. I know you're scared to break up with this guy. I know you're scared to quit, you know, financially doing things you shouldn't do. I know you're scared to move here. I know you're scared to give your life to Jesus. Some of you guys are right now saying, should I be giving my life to Jesus? Some of you right now have given your life to Jesus, and you're like, is it worth it? I want to talk about that next week. But see, what I love about this story is this is a retelling of what we see in the New Testament. I love that Jesus does the exact same thing. Jesus comes, and what he does is he calls, as it were, his patriarchs, these guys, and he says, come follow me. And they had no map. They didn't, Jesus didn't explain some plan where he was going. I'm proposing you to, to you that there's a typology there, that Jesus, he, he fulfills throughout the New Testament all the aspects of Israel to show us to be the true Israel. And that what he's doing, he's retelling the story, as it were, as the new Abraham and the new Noah. And he's saying, guess what? I'm asking you to come with me because I'm God. 
and you don't know where I'm going, but just know that I'm good and I'm real. Let's go. And then those guys follow Jesus. And I love like where he's going to go next week. They go down to Egypt. And they follow Jesus into this crazy three-year wilderness, as it were. Then he dies on the cross. And that shakes him up because I thought you were the king. And then he rises victorious to say, yes, I am the king. I was murdered, but now I'm alive. And he reigns supreme over all created things and uncreated things. And he's your king and he's my king. And what God is just saying is that will you believe? Will you believe he's good? What is one thing? What, what, what's one huge thing in your life right now where you can say, I want to give this to the Lord. I've been scared to, but I know he's good. Hard conversations in your marriage, your studies, any idols. Think about it, family. He's real, he's good. Hey, we're going to have a time of tithing offering right now. Okay? Um, if you're new, we ask you just to keep your uh, purses, your wallets to your side. We're, we're not trying to solicit get your money or anything like that. Uh, this is a time of worship. If you're a MacAver, we ask you to worship the Lord. You get it. If you are, are new,